Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas mi gente, machete mate, back again with the current events, a uh, miracle here where we're at that we have back to back current events episodes, um, <laughs> breaking break break breaking the the monotony of our um, unplanned hiatuses. Um, but good to be back with y'all um, again with this with this with this one in a lifetime back to back current events episode. Anyway. Um, if you haven't checked that, so speaking of which, if you haven't checked that episode, check it out. Also, check out the After Dark that we released as well with it. A lot of, re- lot of really fun and interesting conversation we had there. Um, I got into it a b- little bit about coffee and chocolate and shit like that. We got a little bit sentimental with um, Austin being in Puerto Rico and what that, that, what that means to us in our soul as Puerto Ricans or whatever. Um, but yeah, but if you want actually, if you want access to that, to the um, After Dark episodes, to our Discord community, um, or just want to show um, your solidarity with what we do here and want to support... Um, and help us spread, you know, awareness to issues in Latin America and the global South broadly, um, and want to help us get one step closer to living our, our dream lives and quitting our jobs and being stay-at-home dads and gardeners <laughs> and whatever else we want to do, um, please consider showing your solidarity um, on our Patreon, patreon.com slash um, if you can, because, um, you know, capitalism. If you're unable to, um, just go to wherever you listen to us and just leave a positive review um, and a comment or something, and... Um, just try to jiggle the um tweak the, the algorithm, get us like more listeners and stuff like that. Um that that'd be great and much appreciated as well. Um but yeah, thanks for everyone who's been sticking along. Um I'm Leroy, come to you from unseated Warrangery Land here in so-called um Melbourne, Australia, here with the homie Austin as usual. What's going on, man? Hey man, glad to be back. Um we got some very uh good stories here today so i think uh it's gonna be a good time with no technical difficulties that's what i think is about to happen yep yep and what's going on t oh you know uh same old same old for the most part doing well uh was a little under the weather the last couple of days, but I'm good to go. Uh, visited uh, some family in another city today, so yeah. I had a nice, pleasant Sunday. Um, what about you, Leroy? Same shit. Um, I'm good. I'm here. Um, I was isolating for the last seven days because um, my wife, sister-in-law, and little little one tested positive for um, the plague. Yeah, yeah. So here in Australia, it's mandatory if you're a close contact, regardless if you um, test negative or positive. Seven-day isolation. Um, I've I've tested negative. I have I, I never caught it. Um, I think I'm just I was just built differently, so I'm good. Um, <laughs> All right. Either way, I've been home. Uh, missed it on a week's. Like wage essentially, uh, we, there's the government like pandemic sort of grant thing that it gives you like a payment, which is something. It's more than what, what whatever the hell you're getting in the U.S., which is zero. Um, but it wasn't a complete my complete week. So, which I mean, on one hand, I should shut up and be grateful, but at the same time, like I should be compensated for my time, like because it's you know like you know what I mean. Um, oh, yeah. Got to stay home. 
Um, a lot of spend a lot of time with the little one, a lot of time in the garden and stuff like that. And um, speaking of which, check out my TikTok because I'm trying to be more active on that and share share my journey and experiences in my garden, especially going into winter and um autumn and shit like that. Um, and yeah, and the reason why um Austin was laughing about the technical difficulties because um this is actually take two of, of of this little thing oh. here, but, um, but it wouldn't it wouldn't um it wouldn't be machete it wouldn't be machete mate without technical difficulties but we're, we're here now we're here now um anyway we'll actually like austin you like how's how's it how's it going that now where you are because i don't think I'm you'll have like, in your little introduction that's what i'm yeah, saying the vibe austin also have the vibes on there we already fucked up our second take. Our first one was more seamless. <laughs> so I, I, I respect both of you for basically repeating the exact same shit you guys said in the first take. That was very impressive. Oh, I kind of forgot what I already said the first time, so I'm winging it here. Um, but no, I'm, I'm doing great. Like, uh, like you said in the first take, I'm here down in the motherland, right? Here in Puerto Rico still, which is a beautiful a healing experience, right? One day you guys got to come down here, bring a whole crew as well. Uh, it's been good to connect with a lot of different good people down here, which is really good. Um, although, as we'll be getting into, uh, for, or, uh, for reasons we'll be getting into a little bit later, I have been able to experience the full Puerto Rican experience uh, this last week that we'll, like I said, we'll be talking about a little bit later, but definitely feeling yeah. feeling good. Well, we'll we'll definitely get into it. Um, but speaking of which, we'll save that story for last because again, it's a Puerto Rico story, and we've I think we're we've definitely learned a lesson and keeping all Puerto Rico stories to the end because we can talk about it forever. So we'll finish off with that. We'll also be talking about um, Costa Rica a little bit, just because we don't talk a lot about Costa Rica. Like it seems like there's never a lot of news coming out of there, just because I think I don't personally it's. It's 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 one of those places that like the you know global capital like the global north and stuff likes to paint as like oh this this is the good stable Central American country so like no one ever talks about it because why do you need to talk about it because there's nothing going on there right um but they had a presidential election last week and there's definitely things to mention and talk about um a lot of interesting things so um it'll be a fun conversation team where where it takes us um but we'll kick it off in Colombia. Um, and again, we're going to be talking heaps about Colombia because you're going into an election and Colombia's again, it's the 51st state. So it's, it's an extension of the United States and like U.S. imperialism, U.S. capital, whatever. So we're always going to talk a lot about it, especially now going into the election, um, with a particular story, um, that's just an extension of 67, 80, 90 years, however long of Colombian history where a, um, where the government forces of the government military went into this, um, small, largely indigenous little village in Southern Colombia, like along like the, the Ecuadorian, like Amazonian region of Colombia. Um, they're in there looking for, you know, extremists, terrorists, like FARC insurgents and stuff, whatever. Um, and effectively opened fire and killed a bunch of people. A lot of which were innocent, like, they're, they killed like a 16-year-old kid there as well. Um, and there's a whole hoopla. Obviously, like the people in the village are angry because these people just came in for no reason, basically murdered the people in their, in their community. Um, the the minister of defense, I think it is, coming out and saying like, oh, well, you know, if, if they were there, there's obviously, you know, enemies and there's bad people there. And if, if they died, they're obviously, you know, bad people, which is, which is we know is fucking bullshit. Um, but he's promised to, you know, cooperate with any pending investigation and this and that, whatever. And um, for me, one of the things that's significant about this is that it's 
it's it's just a continue again, like I said, it's a continuation of what we saw in what we've been seeing in Colombia, what we saw in Guatemala, what we see in Honduras, what we see in any US backed regime in Latin America that for whatever reason I mean not for whatever reason, but like it's just this just this constant like basically wiping out dead squads rolling in through um indigenous communities and that's linked to white supremacy. That's a whole conversation we can have. Because obviously like they're different, which means they're 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 a threat to like the the hegemonic belief. So they need to be um eliminated, right? So um we'll get into that. But um Austin, like you always have a lot of insight and context to 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 contribute to Colombian um conversation. What's what's your take? What's your context that you think you can add to this? And um just what's what's going on, man? Yeah, you know, there's definitely a lot that I that I'd love to that I'd love for us all to discuss about this story in particular. And in general, right, as we head into what's going to be a critically important presidential election next month for reasons we described on last week's episode and we've talked about previously, right? We're obviously going to be talking about Colombia a, a decent amount heading into that election. Um, I think it's no mistake. Once again, if I could perhaps put my tinfoil hat on here. And many in Colombia already have put their tinfoil hats on during this, uh, after this, this massacre that happened. Um, I think it's no mistake that as we're heading into election where the left is very likely to win in Colombia, for God's sake, right? That's the whole thing in and of itself. Um, I think it's no mistake that you're seeing more and more stories like this. Oh, the government has quote unquote neutralized FARC rebels, Right. And what does that mean? It means they went into an indigenous village and killed a bunch of innocent people, right? Mm -hmm. That's what it actually means. Um, This reminds me a little bit, you guys remember uh, in Peru, like a couple weeks before the election in Peru, there was like a Shining Path massacre. Oh my God, like a bunch of people died. Can you believe this, right? Like this is fear mongering, right? This is how the right wing in Latin America has always operated, as you say, Leroy throughout the Americas, right? But definitely in a place like Colombia, right? Fear-mongering, talking about, oh, the FARC, it's the guerrillas, right? They, they are doing whatever they possibly can to paint Petro and Pacto Historical with that brush. Oh, the former guerrilla, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to bring that sort of narrative up to the fore. With all of that said, there has been, I mean, this was a massacre that happened. Innocent people died. A 16-year-old mm-hmm. kid died, Right. Massacres have been increasing in Colombia since the beginning of the year, which says something in and of itself. There has been a lot of struggles between ex-FARC uh, dissidents and uh, ELN, right? Uh, drug cartels, Gulf Clan, you know, the same same old story in Colombia. And, and who's caught in the crosshairs, right? Indigenous peoples, Afro-Colombian peoples, trade union leaders, always, right? It's those people that get caught in the crosshairs in Colombia uh, consistently. Um, but there's been a lot of outrage after this most recent massacre, right? I think we're living in a time where, like, things just reached a tipping point in Colombia during the, D- the, the Duque presidency, right? All the paro nacionales that happened, right? The general strikes, right? The uprisings that have happened in the last couple of years. Um, I believe it was last year that I think, off the top of my head, I think it might have been the Supreme Court or, or a court in Colombia released an investigation basically confirming that during the Uribe administration, yeah, they were basically just killing innocent people and saying, ah, we killed a whole FARC encampment, right? Just to, like, boost approval ratings, just to, like, it's like, uh, you know, it was the war on terror era, right? It's like the W. Bush mm-hmm. administration saying, oh, the terror alert is on red, right? 
just bullshit to like try and like draw uh, uh, up their bases and, and stuff like that. I think, and so I think a lot of people in Colombia are obviously sick of that shit, right? Consistently massacres, and consistently, once again, it's these indigenous peoples that uh, that bear the brunt of these massacres. And I think that's one of the biggest reasons that we've been able to see the Pacto Historico uh, coalesce like it has. Um, but there's there's so many there's so many different layers to what's going on right here in Colombia as far as the different the different uh, uh, massacres and extrajudicial killings that uh, continue to occur. There was also a big story not too long ago from the, uh, I should mention the story we just uh, talked about, Leroy, uh, or this one that we're talking about happened in the Amazon. There was a story not too long ago from the Llanos, right? In the Apure, yeah. right near the uh, Colombia-Venezuela border, which there's always yep. shit going down there, right? There was a... Uh, there continue to be alleged ties between the Bolivarian Armed Forces and the National Liberation Army, right? Um, and there's been messy fights between ELN and XFARC, fighting over territory, fighting over, um, in many cases, drug routes, right? That's how a lot of them make their money, <laughs> uh, which is a whole thing... Uh, and it's not just it's not just uh, drug running. Um, they're just smuggling in general is a big thing. Um, you know, basically, you know, uh, tr- the truck shows up with uh, like a third less than the cargo, that kind of shit. You know, everybody everybody smuggles any organization that's underground, um, whether it is in you know anywhere in the United States or if they're you know or South America, if they are a political or organization, Afghanistan. Or- yeah, exactly. Or, or whatever it may be there, you know, smuggling is a big thing. You know, what, what kind of struck me was just the sort of, it's another demonstration of the callousness of the Colombian security state. You know, they, for all the talk of the peace deal, you know, there's been continuous assassinations uh, of ex you know, people, spark members that, that signed the treaty that went along with it. Now, I think it might be important, you know, a brief, reminder of some of the uh social forces at work here colombia does have a vibrant um like social movements uh it's just it's very dangerous and it, and it was very dangerous to be explicitly uh, socialistic uh any organization that was you know a specifically marxist organization was an underground organization a guerrilla organization most famously the farc but also the eln with the peace treaty now, you had the FARC that was the largest insurgency against the Colombian state. Now, when the treaty was about to be signed, there were a group of people that did not agree to the peace treaty, right? They broke off. That's the first FARC dissidents of the recent round, because there's an even earlier one from the 80s, but we won't get into that. Um, again, it's complicated. Um, and then after the treaty, there are people who broke with the deal because of the actions, because of actions like this by the Colombian security services. Um, I, I wonder though, you know, anytime there's talk of like, oh, Venezuela supplies this group or there was this massacre from this group. I, I mean, maybe, yes, could be. That's fine. The Colombians do the same thing over the border in Venezuela. There's proxies that's, you know, that that borderland with Colombia is traditionally a kind of right-wing bastion in Venezuela, not just yeah. um, in terms of like 
crossovers, but also like it's elected po- politicians. Usually it's an opposition stronghold traditionally. Yeah. Yeah. And it's the Llanos, right? It's the plane. It's the wild West. Right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. and, and one of the reasons it is, it does have like right wing strongholds because it's a lot of landowners, right? People with giant yeah. tracts of land and shit like that. Right. That's the place where in, in Venezuela, campesinos just like in colombia still get killed if you try and like squat on like land and shit like that because these are are places that are the landowners and it's a lawless area ruthless in in many ways yeah 100 percent. and um i think i think the the metaphor uh, comparing it to wild west is correct because these battles in the llanos and venezuela have been going on since like the 1800s so from the liberation struggles to today like when we talk when in Venezuela they talk about like the uh, like um appropriation of like big estates and big you know um like territories and land or whatever this is the area they're talking about so um people go to try to squat they get shot there's always standoffs there's always this there um but yeah that's what that's what we're talking about it's been going on for for decades and i think as well like um one thing we need to keep in mind and just sort of give it a broader context as well, like a place like Colombia and like, like any other place in Latin America that has like right wing reactionary governments, they exist and govern on behalf at the behest of the United States and like global capital. Right. So it, it doesn't matter what the facts are within Colombia. It doesn't matter what the Colombians know. It's whatever the Americans and Europeans quote unquote no right so the colombian government the right-wing colombian governments can come in massacre a bunch of people and all they have to say is yep they were dissidents they were you know insurgents they were terrorists it doesn't matter if like the entire country gets up and says actually these were indigenous innocent people in the north all we're going to see on tv is the government came in and attacked and um had to unfortunately kill a bunch of insurgents and people or or eat a hook line and sinker and that's That'll that'll justify further influence and further existence of the of of an imperial president of the United States in, in these places, which helps keep um Uribe in power and the Uribismo alive and stuff like that. And it's, it's what we've seen across Latin America. So I feel that in the broad strokes, definitely. But I'm gonna push back a little bit on your emphasis there. I think this is actually a, a great example of the that domestic reactionaries. Um, are willing to say anything to the United States for funding, right? You know, they the the domestic reactionaries, you know, in these countries, they have their own social histories, right? They have their own class struggle and social struggles. During the Cold War, they, you know, any asshole strongman in whatever country in the world could just go, could go knocking, you know, to the United States and say, hey, I got a bunch of communist dissidents, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, to get that delicious, sweet, uh, uh, Uncle Sam gold and some of that de- those wonderful military armaments. Their yeah. militaries got strained by U.S. high command. Not only that, now after the Cold War, what happens though? After the Cold War, it's all about fighting the narcos, right? Yeah. And so fighting communism passes from, you know, it goes from the official st- statement is that, oh, we're fighting the communists. We're fighting Soviet aggression, Soviet imperialism, blah, 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 blah. Then it becomes, oh, we're fighting the narcos. We're fighting the drug trade. Oh, look at these horrible criminal syndicates, da, 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 da. Meanwhile, the government is killing the same groups of people that are oftentimes unconnected to either. They're yeah. just using it to, to to enforce their own rule. You know, I, I think D.C. is honestly doesn't really give a fuck what happens in country so long as the money keeps flowing and there's like no pesky union activity at the factories that the U.S. Uh, that U.S. firms have put in these uh, 
to, you know, in the, in the global South. Sorry, just to be clear, that's, that's exactly what I was saying. I don't know if like my emphasis was, was misconstrued, but that's exactly what, what I'm saying. At the end of the day, the things that, the things that happen is to basically lick the boots of the United States. It's the, it's that comprador class. So we need to have an understanding of like the comprador classes that exist in these, in these places as well, like national bourgeoisies and shit. So. I guess I'm saying is that it's like less directed necessarily by the State Department. I'm willing to, I, I, I think that uh, there are plenty of reactionaries, domestic reactionaries in these countries that they, you know, wouldn't necessarily, they don't need orders from this, you know, from Washington, D.C. Right. To, yeah, you know, uh, to kill the pesky, you know, campesino that's organizing the other campesinos in the, you know, on the property. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I guess I can get you both right, you know, like, and I think that uh, in a place like Colombia, you know, I really don't rule out like the as directness, like literally like the State Department guy says, no, we're fucking doing this. Like, and, and like, yeah. but generally speaking, generally speaking, you know, I think it's important to point out that one of the biggest reasons I think that this has caused as much outrage as it has is because like obviously these massacres happen regularly, but I think this in particular really evoked a lot of memories of like the worst of like the nineties yeah. and the two thousands, the Uribe era, right? False positives, right? False flags, right? Yeah. They're really, which is a really sensitive thing in Colombia for a lot of, for obvious reasons, right? Uh, it's like, documented. It's documented that it's it's in it's it's not just like left wing conspiracy mongering or it's like some intrepid journalist, you know, R.I.P. Fucking um, that one fellow who exposed the CIA uh, in 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 California and then you know killed you know, was hounded to death. Uh, but like uh, I forget dude's name, but um, the uh, yeah, it's documented. Is, is we have the documents. <laughs> my goodness um no yeah exactly right like it's these things that were long considered like left-wing conspiracy theories right they've been proven right that no the government during uribe during our lifetimes in the 2000 during the war on terror right which that's another thing colombia is more than happy to call the FARC terrorists in order to get delicious george w bush money right so and george w bush was more than happy to oblige right so um it, it, the uh, this it, it's documented that they were literally in many cases just killing indigenous people and saying they were farm members, right? Just putting like yep. patches on them after they get hard to kill people. Um, but but I think the reason I also mentioned like the Venezuela border, like like we talked about last week, for all intents and purposes, Colombia and Venezuela they're kind of like a, in like low intensity war against each other, right? Like I think it's very important the point that you point out there, T, that like it's not just drug routes; it's just generally like smuggling, right? These are like yeah. And like, of course, Bolivian armed forces are involved with different guerrillas and, and different sizes. You want to know why? Because a lot of them are just people on the border, just <laughs> doing rogue shit. Like, let's be completely yeah. honest here, right? Like uh, this idea that like, oh yeah, uh, cops and military are completely ethical. And no, dude, like they're absolutely taking a cut of bullshit that's going on, right? And like you said, Leroy, it's happening on both sides of, of the in the honest, right? Colombian military officials, Venezuelan military officials. Obviously, Colombian military works with paramilitaries. No shit, right? Like Gulf Clan and stuff like that. Even though Duque had his big famous, ah, you see how much I love the United States and extradited, what's his name? Otoniel, right? One of the Gulf Clan leaders 
or signed his extradition to the United States or whatever. Uh, but that's a whole other fucking thing. To me, I really get to the crux of this, which is this is about fear-mongering, destabilizing, doing whatever the fuck they possibly can to present this petrol victory. We are seeing some serious Hail Marys, right? We saw Uribe and the others already trying to say, no, we're going to annul the legislative results because there was fraud. Right? We talked about that last week. I, saw, I thought a, a story that was so fascinating that I guess kind of like came and went was – when NATO rhetoric, I mean, which is still at like a fucking zenith right now, when it was really high up, this idea that, ah, maybe we'll talk about having Colombia as like a, an official partner of NATO or whatever. That truly signaled to me like, okay, the United States is really trying to swoop in and make sure that this shit does not happen, that, that they preserve Colombia um, at all costs. And I think like, you know, I'm reminded of what is something that we said at our beginning year review, right? That I believe it was Matt said this, which is like, when talking about Honduras and like the presence of like electoral observers and he specifically said the presence of like Mexican diplomats and stuff like that, that, that if, mm-hmm. they, if those people weren't there, there probably would have been fraud. Right. I think we're in a very similar situation in Colombia. I think right now the right wing is thinking of, okay, how the fuck are we going to steal this? Right. How are we going to do this? How can we make it as close as possible to like break this? Okay. What are we going to do? I don't think they're going to be able to, right? Like we said last week, I think the ship has kind of sailed. Right. And I think we'd absolutely be remiss without talking about the uh, without talking about some of the different like we're, obviously we're talking about how ethnicity plays a massive role in this, right? Francia Marquez, uh, there was a, a big story with her recently talking about the racism toward Afro Colombians, right? And how like oh god, like some of the things that people have said after she's been selected as vice president, right? It's really some Classic, some up, uh, some capital C conquistador shit, right? Yeah, ugly. <laughs> ugly. It is Colombia, baby. So this is some real conquistador shit, you know. So like, this is why. Wow, guys, in two months' time, we could live, be living in a world where Colombia has a black vice president. That is, that's uh, fucking unreal, bro. Yeah, that is completely. Yeah, my brain still can't. Even, I mean, we'll see what happens. Don't want to jinx yeah. it. Yeah, so I got I got a couple of things there. Um, I want to go back to the um the issue with like the Venezuelan Colombian border and like the smoking both sides, um, and again one thing to keep in mind, and also this is to to people out there who label us as like oh you know you guys think that Venezuela can do no wrong or Venezuela the Bolivarian whatever is perfect blah 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 blah. <laughs> we we have to acknowledge that Venezuela like they're under a fucking essentially a, a trade embargo right like for all intents and purposes like they can't fucking trade for anything. There's a lot of people who are very poor, who need shit. So you can't tell me that motherfucking cops and military people aren't taking advantage of that necessity and fucking smuggling this shit into the people and charging astronomical prices. Like, you can't tell me that that, that isn't happening because that is what's, what's happening. So all the, rhetoric, all the rhetoric of like, oh, this bullshit, you know, we know we have strong borders and blah, blah, blah. It's the same shit we see in the U.S. border. How you get all these law and order people and like conservatives who all, oh, you know, law and order, we need to close the border. They don't want to fucking close border. They want the fucking cheap labor and the cheap products. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's that same bullshit. Um, but the only, the, only, the only difference is we call it smuggling because the people in Latin America are fucking brown, right? So, and smuggling has that connotation. But anyway. Um, also, um, talking about like, you know, having the Afro-Colombian 
vice president. And, I, and I've mentioned this like many times before. Like it's it's we when we ever we talk about Latin America in general, like we'd be remiss, we'd be doing ourselves a fucking detriment to like our people and like the 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 region. We didn't freaking put on a pedestal like the 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 efforts and the struggles of like Afro like 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 Latinx people and the African populations in the region, especially in places like Colombia, like. Early on in like the colonization, like Colombia had some of the most vibrant like runaway slave communities and, and like the palenques, like that, that last till today. Like runaway slaves that built their own parallel societies, you know, fucking want to talk about dual power and shit that like still exists today. They had their own economies, they had their own cultures, they had their own like society within a greater co- colonial society. And to go from that to having a Afro-Colombian vice president isn't a small thing this shit is fucking massive um and also like i wanted to ask you like and it's something we always talk about about all these elections are we going to be trying to you know be um stolen by the the reaction in the right wing sometimes it's just outright like stealing it and sometimes it's like sowing enough doubt in the process to overturn it like what's what's your take are you saying that we're at the point that the right wing if they want to win they're just going to have to fucking outright just steal this shit or like overtly oh man like here's here's my thought like i think so here's my here's my prediction right i think petro is gonna win i think petro and fancy are gonna win right i think it's i think the ship is already set however like i if anything i'm kind of in a place where we were i'm kind of i'm kind of in the same place we were back uh during the bolivia election Right during the with the coup government, which is like every sign pointed to Moss taking back power, but I just couldn't believe it. Right, that's kind of where I'm at right now. Like every sign points to Petro and the Pacto winning, but I just can't believe it. Right, it's something in the back of my mind is saying, ah, you see, the world is all watching Eastern Europe right now. They're gonna pull a fast one in Colombia, and nobody's gonna do shit. Right, just because of how important Colombia is. Like guys, like. My brain just cannot wrap its like a former guerrilla president and an Afro-Colombian environmentalist vice president. Are you shitting me right now? Like backed by backed by like most of the major progressive social forces in Colombia itself. Nice. Obviously not the armed communist ones, but like a broad it's just like it's all all the good guys, you know, to be to use a simplistic metaphor even even in antioquia medellin that's uribe's home that's where he's fucking from even there they're backing petro so dude guys the colombian communist party is part of the pacto historico right yeah we're going to be potentially living in a world where the communist party of colombia is a part of the governing coalition like come on get the fuck out of here just like like we've got the, the communist party is part of the governing coalition in chile right they were part of the coalition in Peru, right? Like that's, I'm sorry. There's just so many layers, so much pattern. We can talk about Colombia forever and ever and, and still only scratch the surface. And like I said, I'm sure we'll be talking about this a whole lot more because this tip of the iceberg, baby. There's, we'll see what the fuck happens in these next two months. I just wish the election was this weekend. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, speaking of elections this weekend, you know, France has their election now as well. And um, we got Australia coming up not too far. I'm sure if we do an after dark, we'll be talking about that. Um, but yeah, like like we always say, we sound like a broken record. However, Colombia goes, the region's going to go. Same like Brazil. Um, so really, really excited. This is part of the election to look out for. Um, 
because again, if for whatever reason the Uribistas win and it's business as usual, how how much more reactionary is that business as usual? And if you know if our boy Petro wins, what does that look like for the region? Um, well, that's yet to see. But we'll keep it rolling, um, because again, we could be here forever. We'll go on to the news in in Costa Rica. So, like I said, um, they had an election, they had a runoff election last weekend that pitted um, Rodrigo Ch- uh, Chavez against Jose Maria Figueres um, Olson. So the guy who won, Rodrigo Chavez, he's part of the Social Democratic Progress Party. That's sort of a broadly center-right type of party. He was previously um, Minister of Finance against former President Jose Maria Figueres, who's part of the Partido Liberación uh, Nacional, so the National Liberation Party. That's ostensibly left, center-left. But um, like I was telling y'all, both parties are effectively centrist parties. So just to tell you, the you know Jose Maria Figueres, who's part of this like left-leading party, graduated from West Point. He's he's Costa Rican, graduated from West Point, graduated from Harvard. Um, he's that guy. Um, he served as president back in 1994. Um, he has a broadly sort of leftish, like kind of populist thing, but it's still largely neoliberal. Same thing with the other guy, Rodrigo Chavez. He's coming off a stint with a um, sort of a center-right uh, being... Uh, minister of finance position, a center right administration. He's previously World Bank, um, and it's very, very interesting because um, there was uh, articles that came out saying that you know a lot of sectors have come together to you know agree to work together, and all the sectors are coming together to um, back the current president. Are all like it's boss shit, it's managerial shit, it's all you know private in- industry and shit. Like there was very little like in terms of workers and stuff um, coming forward and saying hey yeah we support you and blah blah blah. But we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens because. Um, just, just very briefly on like the Rodriguez Chavez administration, like what he's about, his thing. He's, he's, he's that classic sort of anti-establishment, anti, you know, corruption type of guy who comes in and goes, oh yeah, you know, we need to change things, business as usual. Taxes too high. We need to lower the price of this and blah blah blah. So that sort of center right type of like populace. Um, but I don't know if any of y'all have any other takes or insights in Costa Rica, just like what it represents, like. In the context of Colombian shit, like like I said, like Colombia is this out there bastion for right wing reaction. Costa Rica sort of so floats under the radar, um, even though it's still a very agent of like stable like global north like global north neoliberal policy. Ah uh, yes, the Ticos. Oh my goodness, have I ever mentioned how much I love Gallo Pinto? Have I ever mentioned With- how much I love Gallo Pinto? With their with their funny accents as well. Oh wow, that was offensive. Anyways, no, uh, we love the Ticos. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say otherwise. I said they have an interesting accent. You said they were funny, funny in a good way, though. We love all the Ticos. Yeah. Um, no, what I was, what I was gonna, and I actually do love Gallo Pinto. Uh, anyways, anyways, okay. So uh, there's there actually is a lot that I would love to say here. Um, so first of all, I think it's important to point out that uh, Jose Figueres, right, who lost this runoff, is also uh, you mentioned you know he's a former president of Costa Rica. He's also the son of Pep Figueres, right, Jose uh, Jose Figueres Ferrer, who was like the dude, like the architect of Costa Rican social democracy, right? The National Liberation Party that Figueres comes from that you mentioned. This isn't like the best analogy in the world, but they almost occupied a role in Costa Rica, kind of like the 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 PRI in Mexico, 
Like they were like uh, they were like the party of the 20th century. And they for a long time had like a social democratic sort of tint, but became like neoliberal at the end of the Cold War and like morally, ethically bankrupt, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but therefore, they're, a, they're a, a big part of why Costa Rica has that reputation as like, I like to call it like the Switzerland of Latin America, right? Like they don't have a standing military, right? It's, that's it's, that's it's, the best way to put it. Exactly. They don't have a standing military. They, a lot of the, the Contra Wars in Central America, a lot of the peace accords were negotiated in San Jose, Costa Rica, right? It was looked yeah. at as like the neutral party, et cetera. Um, but yeah, like this is still like a... a uh, uh, it's it's interesting to see that Figueres lost, right? Which is why I kind of make that that pretty in Mexico comparison, right? Like that sort of politics, the National Liberation Party, the Pelene, it's bankrupt, right? <laughs> like, which is why somebody like Thomas can run on like, oh, I'm anti-corruption, I'm you know anti or whatever the fuck he's trying to say, sort of line. But like, make no mistake about it, like you said, Lee, right? Our boy that we were pulling for did not make it to the runoff, unfortunately, right? This was the second round of the Costa Rican election. During the first round, uh, Jose Maria Vialta, who was like the candidate of the left, candidate of progress, he had like a, a decent, uh, from the Frente Amplio, I should mention his party, um, he did have a, a decent showing, right? The That first election, which happened a couple months ago when we were, I guess, on an impromptu hiatus, right? Um, the Frente Amplio actually had some, some decent success, right? They went into that election basically with just one representative, that is to say, Vialta himself, who was a member of the National Assembly, um, they ended the election with six seats, right? Six might not sound like a lot, but that when they just had one seat, that dude himself ran for president and got like, I think, I want to say like 14% of the vote, some, somewhere up there, obviously hugely split yeah. field, right? So like, hey, that's a decent choice for the front down there, who are like, uh, who stylized themselves as kind of like a 21st century socialist sort of party, right? I believe they're Sao Paulo Forum members. Um, but uh, Vialta himself is a, a very interesting character, right? Uh, when he was in the National Assembly of Costa Rica, he pushed for and was su- successful in passing a lot of like environmental protection laws in Costa Rica, which is, of course, a really big issue since tourism. And uh, like there are a few things gringos love more than going to Costa Rica and like buying up land and, oh, I can surf here on the beaches and all that sort of shit. So like that's, that's a, a big deal. Sorry to interrupt you, but that's that's a point I wanted to make. Um, as I'm as I'm getting more into my gardening journey, whatever, one of the things I realize is like this big, you know, permaculture community, right? The which it's a whole thing in itself, but it's capital P permaculture is a bit like the the CrossFit of fucking planting shit. And all you see these videos and all these gringos who move to Colombia and set up these uh uh you know forest farms and, and food forests and all this shit, whatever. And have these like naked little kids running around and shit, like because they're buying up these people's fucking land and trying to pass it off as like environmental sustainability and shit like that. Um, I think what we're trying to get at is that Colombia is a very, very good like example of this like green capitalism that you go to Costa Rica, you think it's green, you think it's this or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But it's all neoliberal policy to try to, you know, fucking. It's it's green capitalism at the end of the day, without getting too into it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I totally agree there. And like, I think it's no mistake, once again, that Costa Rica is kind of like a historically social, social democratic place or whatever. I love 
I love the cross dichotomy of all the Central American republics post, you know, dissolution or whatever, right? And all the different paths they've taken, right? People forget Costa Rica. Now, obviously, now obviously Panama was part of Colombia, right? But like Costa Rica was also part of like the United, uh, the Federal Republic of Central America of uh, Francisco Morrison and all that stuff, right? Costa Rica has taken a very different path than than Nicaragua and uh, and El Salvador and Honduras and Guatemala, right? So like I think. As disappointing as it is to see this runoff end with Chavez and Figueres, right? It is interesting, as you say, Leo, to see Figueres, once again, comes from a political dynasty in Costa Rica. It is interesting to see him kind of like rebuffed, right? Um, And to me, I look at the Frente Amplio, right? They picked up seats. They've got a solid contingent now. They've got a bancada, right? So like there's there's a chance. Yeah, so there's a chance. I see, I see a future for the Costa Rican, for the Costa Rican left. So like, I dream of a world where President Vialta has nationalized the beaches and kicked all the gringos out there, I say. One day we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Like 100%. And I think as well, um, again, going back to Costa Rica being this haven for for gringos, like it's the same shit we're seeing in in Puerto Rico, shit like we're seeing everywhere. And I think the difference is that like with – with Puerto Rico because of Puerto Rico's like political status, like, and not to get into fucking Puerto Rico too soon, but like, it's, it's a bit different. Like you see, like, it feels, I mean, people are going to fucking complain about this shit, but like, it feels almost like an invasion of gringos in Puerto Rico because it's a colony. So they can come and do whatever they fuck they want. And no one can tell them no. Whereas Costa Rica, you see like the government and the state working with these like tourism companies, basically privatizing rainforest, privatizing land, privatizing like, what's largely like indigenous areas for the sake of building like these you know chalets and like bungalows and stuff for gringos to go surf and all and all this shit zip lining and freaking playing with toucans and shit and like it's two very different ways of getting to the same point right so it's this steady creep towards like neoliberal free market like global north like hegemonic power that's just going to exacerbate now especially with this more right not that it wouldn't have happened with like Figueres and and certainly it wouldn't have happened as much with like the Frente Amplio but he's even come out like Chavez has already come out saying that one of the things he wants to work on is the, you know the revitalization of you know the economy economic growth because the pandemic and blah 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 and one thing he's going to do once he's already come out he goes I want to you know welcome more multinational companies into the country and blah 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 and we have an entire the entire reason our podcast exists is because the existence of effectively like multinational companies in the region. So we know what, what that, what that means that we know who's going to profit off of these, um, these policies. But again, it's, it's, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what the, what the six members of Congress in the front can actually accomplish. Um, I haven't got the faintest clue because obviously I have, have, I don't know the first thing about Costa Rica besides, you know, what I've just said here and, Maybe a little bit more than the average person, but still not not a, not a whole lot. The first thing I know about Costa Rica is that gallo pinto is delicious. Just reiterating that point, <laughs> just so the Costa Ricans know how much I love them. Um, the second thing I know is that, like I said earlier, Vialta, when he was in co- in the assembly as the the one technically the one uh, Frente Amplio member, he was able to push uh, really good uh, legislation, right, environmental legislation. With six members in the National Assembly, like we'll see. Like I, I'm, I'm cautiously, I mean, maybe cautiously, cautiously optimistic is a strong phrase, right? Because Costa Rican politics in general is kind of like a, a difficult, uh, 
difficult for the left, right? In part because of like historical things such as like the social democratic tendencies of the National Liberation Party, et cetera. Um, but I think there, are, I think there are things to be optimistic about. I'll put it that way. I think there are there are things to be optimistic about when, when you look at Costa Rica. Yeah, um, and also to be clear, um, with with their accent, the thing that's funny about their accent is like they don't roll their R's. So instead of saying Costa Rica, they'll say Costa Rica. So it's Spanish, blah 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 blah, and they pronounce their R's like in English. Whereas um, we get shit as Puerto Ricans for our R's as well because we have a habit of switching our R's and L's. Um, and a lot of times we don't roll our R's either. We kind of do this guttural thing. So instead of saying Puerto Rico or Puerto Rico, we'll say Puerto Rico. Um, so that's that um, NTR solidarity with Costa Rica as well. So um, that's what I was trying to get at often. Like it's 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 a it's an interesting quirk about their, their accent. Um, setting the record straight. Setting the record straight. <laughs> Here's the thing, Boricuas and Ticos. There's a long history of love there. Uh, we, I'm sure there's baseball in Costa Rica. No, they love soccer there, don't they? Well, I'm sure there's like salsa. We love salsa. There we go. There's, I'm sure there's Costa Rican boxers, right? Anyways, Mamos anyway. Ticos. Mamos Ticos. Anyway, um, we'll keep we'll keep the ball rolling here as well. Um, but yeah, like it'll be interesting. We'll we'll definitely have to look up more Costa Rica stories and dig up stuff that we can talk about more because I think they deserve the attention just to bring the attention to more people, right? Um, but like I said, we wouldn't be a Machete Mate current events episode if we didn't have a Puerto Rico story and we didn't end it with the Puerto Rico story. Um, and like we said, business as usual. Um, I think the 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 ether knew that Austin was there and wanted to give him the proper Puerto Rican experience. Um, because when was it your Sunday, Monday, general blackout. So power across Puerto Rico, across the islands, the entire archipelago. There was a fire in the Costa Sur, like um, electricity plant or whatever it was. No power across the island. It was like that for a couple of days. It came back, but then people lost, you know, water. But then the power went back out, and blah blah blah. And um, it's again, again, another another instance of, and within that, the context as well is that the I think the power the price of electricity went up as well this week or something as like the power, the power outage happened. Um, and this is something like the, in the 10 months or however long it's been since Luma took over, this has been however many power outages across the island. And people obviously are up in an uproar. People have been dumping their, you know, spoiled groceries at, you know, the, the doors of the head office of Luma. Um, and that's, that's where we're at with Puerto Rico. Like Austin, like you're, you're actually there. Like what's been, what's been going down? Oh my goodness! So, it, it, so the blackout actually started on Thursday night. It was uh, or Thursday, Thursday evening, right? I uh, yeah, I was actually, I, was, I mean, in the after dark, I'll get more into like the anecdotal side of what the experience was like, I suppose. Um, but yeah, like it, it was Thursday, Thursday evening when we first uh, lost power, um, and it was out until at least the morning and like I, you know i'm not gonna fully dox myself here but like i am <laughs> i am on the eastern coast of the big island right so what i've what i've seen right what people here know is that the eastern parts of the island uh of the big island that is which are uh more adjacent to san juan than for example your beloved aguadilla right the eastern parts uh, tend to get electricity uh, back before the western parts do, right? In part due to the uh, adjacency—is that a word? 
Proximity? Let's go with proximity due to, in part, to the closer proximity to San Juan, right? Um, but yeah, you know, power went out on Thursday and we were just kind of like, hey, what the fuck's going on, right? Like, you, you, like, <laughs> like, like, like the first thought, like, the first immediate thought is not, at least for me, is not, oh, island-wide blackout, right? Because blackouts have been happening on and off. Like, this was the first islands-wide blackout of the year. And it was because, yeah. as you mentioned, that fire at that at that plant, right at the in 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 the south or whatever, right? Like, so it was very readily apparent that power was going to be out for a while, right? Uh, so uh, uh, by we were lucky in that, like on the eastern part of the island, we were able to get power back by Friday morning. However, it would kept turning on and off, right? On like a I'd say we lost power about three or four times over the last four days, right? Shit. And these and these power loss, losses would last for like I don't know four or five hours a piece, right? And so like uh, like you can, Puerto Rico's a hot place, guys, right? So like when the power <laughs> so like when the power is out, like you you have no AC, right? And you're at the mercy of the sun, right? You're at the mercy of, of Mother Nature herself, etc. Uh, as you mentioned, Leroy, spoiled foods. You know, like uh, things like that. For a lot of people, in a lot of cases, lose access to water. Right? We were lucky where I'm at that we weren't that we were able to maintain water as well. Um, right now, as far as I know, uh, right now, as far as I know, the uh, majority of Puerto Rico has recovered electricity. However, it, it has the case has been that like with Luma and the privatization of electricity, these sorts of things the recovery of, of power tend to take longer than they would. Yeah. Yeah. A, a, a few things that are going back to Puerto Rico being a hot place. Like I've been in hurricanes where like the power has been knocked out. You know, we don't have running water, whatever. And in Florida, the worst thing is the fucking heat in the middle of summer. Cause I know we always had sort of a hurricane sort of stash in like a closet. And most people in Florida, I feel like have that. So we'll have bottles of water. We'll have things here. But like when you don't have electricity for fans or fucking AC, you, you can't sleep. Like it's, it's the fucking, it's the worst. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it's not that big a deal because to my next point, Puerto Rico has a high incidence of diabetes of heart disease of people who need dialysis of you know what i mean and it's a crumbling medical infrastructure that existed like we talk about all the time Vieques doesn't have a fucking hospital and the ones on the you know the big island aren't much you know they exist but they're they aren't that great unless you're, again you're in the metro area in san juan so if you're in the middle of like the mountains in orocoes or ayuya whatever and don't have access can't get to san juan and you need your dialysis what the fuck are you gonna do you can't refrigerate your insulin what the fuck are you gonna do? You know what I mean? You this, like it's 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 that I don't want to call it secondary, but it's that secondary like cause of death. You know what I mean? In terms of like going back to Maria, going back to this or whatever. That like people aren't dying directly of like oh shit the power went out I'm dead now. It's like we don't have running water to keep clean. We have fucking mosquitoes here. We're gonna get fucking dengue fever. We have nothing to treat us, and then we're all gonna fucking die. Like you know what I mean? It's that shit um, as well. And one thing I want to bring it back because, again, it's talking about business as usual and painting a picture of what Puerto Rico is because, again, this has been another comical fucking week. This is going on while the fucking pro-statehood governor is in fucking Spain talking to the fucking king of Spain. <laughs> like, it was it was sh chef's kiss. It was just like, this is this is perfect. This is perfect. 
like you know what I mean? And people are like, oh, you know, this is going on on the island. This, this is happening to us on our governor in Spain, whatever. To then release a statement, and the first thing he releases is to acknowledge that what happened. He goes, yeah. So there's, yeah, I just want everyone to know that this is taking place, and people are like, no fucking shit. Like you know what I mean? Um, it's it's the it's the clash of our like colonial past just in one singularity. It was in 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 incredible, in, in, incredible. I mean, you really can't write this shit. You really can't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's amazing. And like, of course, like being here in Puerto Rico, that was, of course, the talk of the town, right? Oh, Pierre Luisi, this fuck is literally in Spain while this is happening, right? And uh, it's, like you say, it's, it's depressing, right? It's sad. It is what it is. Like, guys, like, make no mistake about it. I'm connected to the Wi-Fi right now. The power could literally shut off at any second. Like, we could, we could be doing a take three. Like, that could literally happen at any moment. Um, so uh, it's, uh, it really puts it all in perspective. I just, you know, honestly, I, I, how many times do we... This is one of those stories that is just a constant, that it's just it goes round and round and round. You know, there's a state-owned or state-subsidized, state-funded agency to provide an essential good or service, right? And then there is clamoring from uh, upper class elements, the business uh, class in in country, or from uh, you know imperialist elements in D.C. or London or or something like that, clamoring for privatization. You know, before the privatization takes place, says, oh, you know, they, you know, these public services are usually heavily underfunded, which is the case with Puerto Rico's grid, uh, criminally underfunded for decades. Uh, Organized labor continuously attacked throughout the time to weaken the power of labor in in negotiating um, reforms and improvements to the uh, to the grid. So it gets sold. Privatization privatization happens, and then what comes next? Instead of improved services, instead of faster services, instead of more convenience or or expansion, it's even more retraction. It's even less services. It's more expensive and it breaks down even more. And so, I mean, it just, I, when people are making these propaganda points about everything from independence to even just a, a slightly more progressive, uh, you know, social system in Puerto Rico, I'm not even talking about full blown independence or anything like that, but just like your basic, uh, basic improvements to society constantly. It'll be worse if we're not, if it's not privatized. Oh, we have to do it this way. Oh, what would La Junta say? Uh, what, you know, we got to go through, we have to make sure it's not going to explode the dead. Da, 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 da. Excuse after excuse after excuse, bullshit line after bullshit line after bullshit line. And here we are. Here we find ourselves like 10 million other examples of privatizations that have gone, that have gone fucking belly up. Yeah. Um, 100%. And, um, I don't, I don't know if you have more insight into this, Austin, because you're, you're probably closer in proximity. Um, does Havana have power? Does Caracas have power? Yeah? No? I can... Hmm. In- interesting. I, I can speak to my uh, most recent time in Caracas, uh, and I can tell you that the entire time I was in Caracas, uh, not once did I lose power. Uh, anecdotal, interesting. however, I can only... Uh, uh, tell you about my own personal experiences in both Venezuela and Puerto Rico. 
Interesting, interesting. But you're but you're one hundred percent right. It's and again, it's going back to that discussion about capitalism and like what it does at your core, like the the personal alienation that it creates in you. And one of the things that it does, it's it erases, it negates our ability to Im, to imagine, imagine. Period. Like because we're reduced to just what's in front of us at this moment. So what's in front of us at this moment is that society is shit. Imagine how much worse it can be. Like people can't imagine it being better under a different system. There, there, we we buy into this idea that capitalism is the best system, and if it's this shit under capitalism, it must be so much worse under anything else. You know what I mean? And that's why, like, we're in this like societal existential rut. Like, you know what I mean? Globally, that people can't imagine a a better world. Right? They can't imagine this this better world which we're trying to build. And then going back, one of the main goals, one of the main struggles that we need to be engaging in is that political education and taking that away from people and be like hey look no like we, we can do this because again austin you'll probably have better insight like there's there's one town that's probably doing the best in terms of all this electricity it's um at juntas because casa pueblo's there because they have like an entire like solar powered town that they've, they've been they've been sponsoring and they've been doing the best like there's random solar powered like like um stoplights on the island that haven't gone out because they're fucking solar powered. You know what I mean? Like that's what we need to be fucking moving to. And like the the empirical evidence is there. Like if we move towards this, like we'll be in a better position than we are. And what's mind-boggling to me is that Puerto Rico is a fucking tropical island. If it, if it has anything, if it has anything, it's fucking sun, it's fucking waves, it's wind. Like you know what I mean? There is no reason that this should be that this should happen. Like there's no fucking like objective reason puerto rico should be in, in an energy crisis but i don't know what the what the fuck do i know <laughs> yeah leroy what the fuck do you know just kidding you know a lot of things leroy um but what i was about to say like no like it's uh it's like i say i just to to be here right to witness it uh, is uh, obviously a whole a whole other experience entirely it's uh who the fuck knows if the power is back on for the time being, right? How the fuck is anybody supposed to know? It was quite, uh, I don't know, quite, I don't know, is jarring the word, right? To see the houses that do have solar power, right? To see the houses that do have solar power and were able to like keep their lights on, right? To just hear the sound of generators, you know, throughout the night or whatever. Like this is just life, right? You just gotta be prepared for it, right? You better have a bunch of fucking ice handy, right? Or else all yeah. the fucking food's yeah. gonna go bad. So like, it's uh, and I was happy. I heard of people, as you mentioned earlier, I heard of people going to Luma and throwing their fucking spoiled vegetables and shit uh, at their goddamn doorstep. So. And and again, and just on that point as well, like again, for a place that has a, abundant fertile lands. Puerto Rico has to import most of its fucking food, and food prices are just going are just skyrocketing. Like the price of food and the price of groceries, I think it's proportionally more expensive in Puerto Rico than like most places in the metropole. You know what I mean? So yeah. these people are having to spend money they don't have on these groceries to then for it to spoil. You know what I mean? It's like a com- compounding issue, and the question is at to what point? You know what I mean? To uh, to uh, you know at what point? Is everyone going to get up and actually have this general strike and just fuck the system and, you know, overthrow everything? But it goes back to what we were saying before. It's just this internalized sense of, like, 
you know, this is it. This is the end all be all. And if it's this shit, I can't imagine it getting any better on any other system. That's what we need to go be against. Well, you know, as we saw with the last uh, major general strike on the islands, it was very, you know, not to get into tinfoil territory, but it was very, which we've hinted at before, but it was very easy to redirect that anger to uh, Rosseo as, you know, an individual versus the system as a whole, which was, the anger was building as a, at the system as a whole, rather than the person of the governor himself, of the former governor himself. Um, we see, I mean, we know the people are capable of it. They did it before, you know, they've, they've, they came out of their jobs. They came down from the mountains. You know, they, they came up out, out of the beaches. Um, it's happened before. It certainly will happen again. I, I have no doubt in my mind. I guess the question becomes is, is it something that can be, fo- like, is it something that remains narrow? Does it remain on a narrow, on a single political party or, or worse, a single politician? Or does it, you know, begin a fundamental questioning of the foundations of the social system on the islands themselves. But I think we're, we're sort of seeing that the crack, we always talk about it, the cracking of the two-party state in Puerto Rico, how the, the yeah. PNP, they're fucking, they're, they're, they're holding on by a thread. So is the PPD. But the question is, where do those people get redirected? Are they going to get redirected in a reactionary way to uh, uh, fucking Project Unidad, to this crystal fascist direction? Or are they going to be channeled through at least through NVC with my misgivings, but that's a better position than, than the crystal fascists or to the pip or some other like left wing, like group or party, or whatever going to, going to come up. So the question is like, people are angry. People are tired of the system. How is that energy and how is that anger going to be channeled? And again, is it going to be channeled just over and over? Cause I don't doubt there's going to be the, the like, it won't be surprising if there's going to be another sort of Rosselló type, you know, summer of 19 type of general sort of uh, protest. Mm-hmm. But is it going to be another yeah. one of those where it's like, oh, the PMP, we need to get them out of power, Pierre Luisi, all right, next guy up. Or is it going to be channeled to an actual, you know, that whole organization versus, um, you know, your Kwame Ture thing that he likes to talk about? Is it going to actually be like, is that energy going to be channeled towards actual, like an actual movement as opposed to just an organizing for this shit? Organization versus mobilization. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, but what else? What else? Oh God. Okay. So a lot of different things I'll say there, and we're already at the hour mark here. Um, so yeah, definitely. Like I think we are definitely seeing the decline, and hopefully the death of like the two party system. Right. You talk about your misgivings with NBC. You know what was the only thing I was hopeful for when NBC was being formed? My only hope was, oh please let it just kill the popular Democratic Party. Please let this be yeah. the death of the Popularis, right? Unfortunately, that didn't happen, right? Maybe, maybe it still could, but, right? We'll see. But it's, it's, I think it's on its way. I think I'm optimistic about that point, but still, like, they're, the party's too ingrained in, like, the Puerto Rican political psyche. You know what I mean? Exactly. It's, it's the, you know what I really think? You, you talk about France, right? I feel like the PPD, the Pepe the Populars, they could go the way of the French Socialist Party, right? Yeah, they might have like a final like hurrah, but like once they're fully dislodged from the top two, you're going to see these fuckers start pulling at like 2%. Like I think they could collapse, right? Just like has happened to the French Socialist Party, right? Any fucking that's a ridiculous comparison. Um, so what I was about to say was, uh, about to say was like, um, I think like right now, like not to get too cynical or whatever, like we're talking about the protests, right? 
talking about La Junta is, of course, such an important aspect of directing this to something that's actually like pro-independence or pro-autonomy or just, you know, recognizing the colonial relationship and what that role that all has to play in this. Um, but I mean, you're hardly ever going to find a time where there's as much fertile ground for independent peace building, right? As like, as what is happening right now. So like, it is, it is one of those moments where like, once again, not to sound too cynical or whatever, but like proper vanguardism is so important because if it doesn't come from the left, it will come from the right, you know? And like, yeah. hey, today's Sunday, right? I, it wasn't, you would drive by any evangelical church these days, right? You can hear the alleluia from miles away. Right. So like the Project Dodd, right? Like we say, like I mentioned last week, Project Dodd, they get to campaign to every Puerto Rican every Sunday morning. Right. So like it's it is, it is very it's like the election we once again we're talking about some of the things we talked about last week, but like this election could go in twenty twenty four, uh could go to a lot of different directions, it's gonna be interesting. But one last thing I wanted to say. Oh, Leroy, you mentioned like the food, right? And how like, you know, food, we import food, but like the food is grown here. Guys, I say this anytime I've been to any Latin American country or out of the United States, but I really mean it this time. A couple days ago, for the first time, unfortunately, for the first time in my life, blame Virginia, right? For the first time in my life, I ate a fresh picked pineapple. And for the love of God, guys, that was the greatest thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. It was the greatest thing I've ever tasted in my entire life. So, like, it, it, like, why, like, why the fuck are we, like, how the fuck is that not, like, every, anyways, like, that's, like, growing your own food is such, food sovereignty is such an important part of this, right? And Puerto Rico yeah. is one of those places that is uniquely placed to have a food sovereign economy, right? If the actual investment was made, right? If people, if, anyways, that's a whole other conversation. Um, but another thing I want to say, another critical aspect about this, you know, you talk about like, you mentioned the importing of food because like uh, what is people spending what money they have, they have to throw this food. Guys, we're in a time of rising fuel prices, right? Like right now, like people are struggling just to pay for like gas, like to be able to do shit like that. And I would be remiss without mentioning that I found it deeply ironic as I was sitting with no power, right? Seeing the United States lecture Russia at the UN Human Rights Council saying, no, what you guys have done here is unacceptable. We're kicking you guys out. Meanwhile, a colony of millions of people that are suffering from a forced privatization that was imposed upon them by the United States is suffering without electricity. Some people without water, right? Is this for all the losers and the haters out there, right? This is obviously not to defend <laughs> Russia, right? This is to say that it's a joke for the United States to try and lecture anybody internationally, right? And once again, it was just especially, uh, felt very poignant to me for it to happen on the exact same day. Like, and just look at the disparate coverage, right? When you talk about Puerto Rico in the United States, it has to be dealt with high degrees of nuance, right? Oh my goodness, well, you know, they voted for statehood and well, you know, the people did this and well, this happened, blah, blah, blah. You look at any sort of situation, you know, for example, in the Ukraine, just total black and white media coverage, total black and white media coverage, right? It's, it's amazing the way that people, like, I just look at the way CNN, NBC, all these places cover the blackout that happened, right? Do they really talk about what's actually going on here? Fuck no. It's talked about like some weird isolated incident. Oh, millions of people are without power, right? This was a forced privatization, right? This was a forced privatization. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah, there's there's that, but also it's always like, oh, uh, U.S. citizens in Puerto Rico are this like they don't even say just you know people like the only way 
the only way they'll actually present the story is if it's fellow Americans like suffering. You know what I mean? Um, or what degree of a of American they want to they want to place on us? But it's 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 a hundred percent. Like like I said, there's there's no reason why Puerto Rico can't be food sovereign because again like it's some of the most fertile soil in the world like all of the fucking caribbean like most of latin america right has like ideal climate ideal latitude ideal everything for for energy and everything you know what i mean like it's 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 mind-boggling you know what i mean and i wouldn't even go so far as talk about you know lecturing russia whatever just internally the united states like texas has a privatized grid and look what the fuck happened to them not last winter but the winter before like People died because it couldn't handle the cold. Like Native Americans on on reservations. Like, if I'm not mistaken, a lot of them actually import their energy from fucking Venezuela, or at least Chavez like offered to like provide them with with energy. You know what I mean? Like, it, it'll get to the point that like the narrative will collapse, and even people who might be skeptical of like you know all oh, the commies or whatever are going to be like, well, I haven't had power in ages. I have like unreliable power. I can't fucking eat if I have these motherfuckers. Uh, you know, a couple hundred miles south offering us power, I'm going to fucking take it because I need to feed my child. You know what I mean? And then we'll see that narrative collapse, right. you know, inshallah. But like, we'll, we'll see what fucking happens. But anyway, um, unless you guys have anything else to add to this discussion, because again, um, we can keep adding. We'll put a, we'll put a bow on it. Um, I'm sure we'll be talking more about this because there's going to be infinite more blackouts for the rest of time until something fucking changes, right? Um, so there's going to be another story. I'm sure Austin's going to have more... Um, Updates, and I think if we do it after dark after this, Austin will get some more um, anecdotal, personal things. But anyway, thanks for tuning in. Uh, speaking of which, check out our after dark we did last time, and our you know our, our our last episode. Hopefully, we can get back on track and put out episodes regularly, and not going to periodic unplanned hiatus hiatuses hiatuses <laughs> whatever the pronunciation is. Um, but again, if you support what we, what we do, you want access to those after dark episodes, access to our Discord community, and all the good things that come with that, um, or um, consider showing your solidarity on our on our Patreon. So patreon.com slash machete mate. Otherwise, wherever you listen to us, um, just give us a good review um, and leave a comment and help us, you know, um, mess with the algorithm and expose us to more people around the world. Um, but with that said, again, continued um, happy Ramadan to all the Muslim um, listeners out there from a river to the sea. Hopefully um, Ramadan is, is um, bountiful for you and spiritually um, rewarding for you. Um, and shout out to um, what's going on in Pakistan. Like, I, I wish we had time to discuss that because, you know, Imran, Imran Khan is a cricketer legend and that's, that's a fascinating thing that's going on there, but we might be touching on that on the after that. We'll see. Um, but with that said, we, we don't have anything else. Um, thanks for tuning in. Um, hopefully you'll join us next time and hasta la victoria. Peace. Later, y'all.